Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, physical touch, and gifts, receiving gifts. That's Dr. Gary Chapman sharing about learning your child's love language. And he's here with us suggesting that while most parents do love their children and do want their children to feel loved, uh, few of us know how to effectively communicate those feelings. Uh, You'll get some help with that today. This is Focus on the Family with your host, Focus President, Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, we've shared many times on the broadcast that parenting is tough work, and it is. And we Rewarding, wanted, but tough. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great to have uh, Dr. Gary Chapman back with us, along with my wife, Jean. I'm always thrilled when she's here with us to mm-hmm. give that mom's perspective. Uh, but Gary is the author of the best-selling book, The Five Love Languages, which has sold, I think, more than 14 million copies. Wow. Uh, it resonates, <laughs> yes. and uh, he's taken those concepts from that book and applied them to parenting, helping us to know better how to love our kids through their love language. And I'm looking forward to the discussion today. And a lot of the content is in Gary's book, The Five Love Languages of Children. We've got copies of that here. Just call 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. In addition to being a writer, uh, Gary's a pastor, a counselor, and uh, he and his wife, Carolyn, have been married for over 50 years. They have two grown children. Gary, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be back. It's always good to have you. Gene, welcome into the studio. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure being here. <laughs> it is. It's a pleasure having you, obviously. Uh, but Gary, let's get going on this. Uh, I'm I'm excited about helping parents do the best job they can do. And, you know, it's a tough task, like we talked about. How do we as parents often fall short in expressing our heartfelt love for our kids, even though they're frustrating us? Well, you know, Jim, <laughs> I think that most parents are sincere, and I think most parents love their children. But the children don't always feel loved. Mm-hmm. And we recognize that one of the deepest emotional needs that a child has is the need to feel loved by the significant people in their lives. And the parents are the most significant people in their lives. Uh, I've sometimes said uh, in every child, there's an emotional love tank. You know, and if the love tank is full, the child grows up emotionally healthy. If the love tank is empty and the child feels like they don't love me, They grow up with a lot of internal emotional struggles. And in the teenage years, they will often go looking for love, typically in the wrong places. Mm. So uh, in this book, I'm trying to help parents realize that sincerity is not enough. We got to learn how to communicate love to each individual child. And what makes one child feel love will not necessarily make another child feel love. Right. It's so true. You know, and... Parents come into this with their own baggage. Hmm. I mean, we don't get a manual from the hospital that says, here's how you parent. That would be a good thing. Yeah. Maybe folks should develop that. <laughs> but, uh, but the point of that is, you know, we bring our own scars, our own wounds into this. Mm. And temperaments are different. Uh, you know, Gene is kind of the black and white thinker in our relationship. And, and I think for me, uh, I'm probably a l- lean a little more into the relationship. What do you think, Gene? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Sure. And so in that context, though, how can we learn to be um, intentional about filling the tank when we have our own deficits? Yeah. Well, we, we all have a history that we didn't choose. 
And then some of our history we did choose, <laughs> and we made poor decisions along the way. And so sometimes I think the beginning place for a parent, if they realize, I don't know that I'm doing a really good job with this parenting thing, maybe is to ask, you know, somebody else, you know, how, what do you think? And, and maybe there's a place to apologize to children and to say, you know, I realize I, I haven't been doing this or that or whatever, you know, and I just, I want to ask you to forgive me. I want to be a better parent, and I'm trying to be a better parent. Uh, so if we realize that we're all in process, none of us are perfect parents, and you don't have to be a perfect parent to have healthy children. We do have to deal with our failures, and that's where apologizing to the child and mm-hmm. to let the child forgive us. We're teaching them a real skill because they're going to have to learn to apologize too somewhere along the line. Yeah. In the book, you, you say that saying I love you isn't enough. Yeah. I probably err in that side. I'd say a lot of I love yous, but... I don't know that I go the extra mile. Describe what that extra mile should look like. Well, I think uh, whatever we grew up with is probably what we do. Or whatever makes us feel loved is what we tend to do for the other person. Can you give me an example? Well, if words of affirmation is my love language, if that's what makes me feel loved, then I'll probably give my child words of affirmation. I'll tell them how great they're doing on sports. I'll tell them how wonderful I'm and how proud I am that they made a B in that class. Or, you know, I'll give them words of affirmation. And I'll say the words, I love you, over and over again. Yeah, because that's important. Absolutely. But if words is not that child's language, they will not necessarily feel loved. Even though we're sincere, they won't be getting it. I remember a 13-year-old who was in my office. He had run away from home. And he said to me in the course of our conversation, my parents don't love me. They love my brother, but they don't love me. Mm. I knew his parents. I knew they loved him. The problem is they had never discovered his primary love language. And consequently, maybe they were giving him words of affirmation, but his language was one of the other languages. And consequently, he didn't feel loved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's since we've opened that door, let's uh, quickly go over the five love languages and discuss primary and secondary. Yeah. Okay. Well, these are in no particular order, but physical touch is a way to express love. We've long known that. Words of affirmation is a way of expressing love. Quality time, by which I mean you give the child your undivided attention, and then there's uh, gifts is an act of service. And, and that's the receiving of gifts? The receiving of gifts. The yeah, receiving, receiving of gifts. That trips people up, I think. When I try to describe it, they're going, really, that you receiving a gift is your love language, not giving a gift? Yeah. Yeah, I think often we're thinking in terms of what is my love language, but we're talking about the other person's love language, and it's receiving the gift. If receiving gifts makes you feel love, you'll probably give your kids all kind of gifts. Right. But maybe their language is words of affirmation. And you don't give them words of affirmation, so you're why wouldn't you feel love, man? You've got so many things, you know. <laughs> exactly right. Mm. So we tend to express kind of, in some regards, the way we want to be loved, yeah. is what you're saying. So Jim and Jean, uh, I'll go ahead and just throw you in the spotlight and wonder, when did you discover some of the, these concepts for your own boys? Because there's a lot here to learn. Well, it's kind of funny because I was reading the book years ago with the my boys were nearby me, mm. which Troy was four years old. He's now 19, if that makes any of us feel better. <laughs> but I remember I was reading them out loud, and I said to Troy, which one of these best describes you? And I read through them. And as soon as I said physical touch, he goes, that's me. Oh. I mean, he knew it. He was four years old. Yeah. He was, that's yeah. me. Yeah. I love hugs, Dad. I love hugs. I love when you tickle my back. <laughs> and uh, I think for Gene, you were more in tune with Trent. 
Well, yes, but also with Troy, I would say it was, uh, I think it was easy to pick up on with him because he was always hugging us or uh, always hugging his brother. Yes. Yeah, he was. And I look at photos when they were young and Troy was always hugging. Yeah. So he was easy to uh, pick up on his love language at a young age. Our oldest son, Trent, he was more difficult to decipher what his love language was. And he did take the quiz, and I think, uh, where did he land? He Words of affirmation hmm. was number one, and then quality time. Yeah. So I remember, Trent, it was so funny, because when he was five, six years old, I'd go to hug him, and he'd be like a cardboard cutout. <laughs> his hands would be down to his yeah. side. Yeah. And I literally had to teach him how to hug, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just give me a big hug and try to squeeze my kidneys. That's what I used to tell him. And that got him going. He goes, okay. But today he's a pretty good hugger. He's a, he's a great hugger. Mm. And I would like to say, even though with uh, Trent, so we didn't know that his love language when he was younger was uh, words of affirmation, Thankfully, I had listened to Focus on the Family broadcasts <laughs> and knew that it was important to catch your child doing something right. And that was, there was a time where that was challenging. But, um, <laughs> that may, may have been Gary that said that. Right. You do say right. that, don't you, Gary? Right. Yeah, catch them doing something yeah. right and affirm them in that. Yes. Uh, Gary, let me ask you, uh, your actual background in college was anthropology, if I remember correctly. Yes, that's correct. And you've compared kind of foreign language skills with emotional language skills. So explain that, and especially in the context of helping your children. How does that all come together in your mind? Well, you know, if you speak Chinese, and I speak only English with a southern accent, chances <laughs> oh, I <didn't> are... <laughs> chances are I can just speak to you all kind of things, and you don't get any of it because we, it's a different language. So if I want to communicate to you, really, I have to learn to speak Chinese, and you have to learn to speak English if we're going to really have a, a relationship. And I think the same thing is true with children and parents. You know, if a parent has one love language, uh, let's say words of affirmation or any, any one of them, and this is what they will normally give to that child. But since that's not the child's love language, the child doesn't receive it emotionally. Mm. They hear it, but they don't get it emotionally. And that's what we're talking about, meeting the emotional need to feel loved. And so this is why I think this book has been so helpful to so many parents through the years, is helping them understand if you have three children, they may each have a different love language. Yeah. And, and please don't hear me saying that you only speak their primary love language. Uh, you give heavy doses of the primary but you sprinkle in the other four. I yeah. mean, the child needs to learn how to receive love and give love in all five languages. That's the healthiest adult. Mm -hmm. Most of us did not receive all five growing up. So we came to adulthood, and some of these were not very natural for us. Yeah. But the key issue is that you give heavy doses of their primary language, and they're going to feel loved. And I just want to, for the listener that might just be jumping in, just quickly, the five love languages again are? Words of affirmation, acts of service, Quality time, physical touch, and gifts, receiving gifts. Receiving gifts. So that's the context. Uh, you mentioned the idea of love and your kids feeling loved. I think we struggle, especially in the Christian community, um, unconditional love. I think only Jesus could deliver that, <laughs> you know, really, yeah. if we're honest about it, yeah. because there's always a bit 
of performance involved, especially with our kids. And we don't want to be there. And we're taught by great thinkers like yourself. But, you know, mm, another D. Yeah. And how do we not damage our kids and motivate them and show them unconditional love, maybe in a tender place in our own heart that it's hard for us to do? Well, I think with words, we have to recognize we want to affirm them for effort, not for perfection. Hmm. I remember a 13-year-old young man was in the hospital with ulcers, stomach ulcers, and I was asked to go visit him. In the context, I said to him, how do you and your dad get along? And he said, I don't ever please my father. And I said, can you give me an example? He said, well, if I make a B on the report card, my father will say, you should have made an A, boy. You're smarter than this. And later in the conversation, he gave me another example. He said, if I mow the grass on Saturday, my dad will say, you didn't get under the bushes. Can't you see the grass under the bushes? Mm -hmm. And he said, when I play ball, if I make a double, my father will say, you should have made a triple out of that, boy. You got to learn how to run. Well, I'm glad I didn't have that dad because I couldn't hit the ball. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. No, but that's I, I, knew, sad. I knew what his father was trying to do. Yeah. He was trying to motivate him to give his best, whatever it was. But you understand what the son was hearing? Yeah. I don't ever please my father. Mm. So the, let, me, let me ask you, Gary, as a dad, and I think dads struggle with this more than moms. Um, how do we dial that back? How do we consciously grab that? Because those are probably patterns that we learned as kids, too, yeah. especially boys. I think like so. this young man. Yeah. He may repeat that with his kids. Yeah, if he doesn't learn it. Right. You know. And so what I'd say is this. Look, if the child brings home a B and you think they should have made an A, that's the day to praise them for the B. Yay, son, a B. That's good. It's next week that you say, you know, last week, your report card, you made a B on this. I bet you could make an A. Let's try this, you know. What do we need to do? Yeah, yeah. Now, some parents have said to me, yeah, that's okay if they made a B, but what if they made a D? Right. Hmm. And I say, well, a D is better than a D (laughs) minus. Son, you made a D. Uh, That's good, you know. And then we talk about let's make it better. And the time to point out the grass under the bushes is not the day they mowed the grass. That's the day you praise them for the grass that's mowed. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Clubhouse is really edifying in every part of it. A resource that supports your values. We subscribe to other magazines and every once in a while there will be a story that questions a parent's authority or kids behave in a way that I don't like and we never have that problem with Clubhouse. I can trust it. Learn more about Focus on the Family Clubhouse and Focus on the Family Clubhouse Junior Magazines at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash clubradio. Is it possible to love your spouse without expecting anything in return? Here at Focus on the Family, we're excited about Season 5 of the Loving Well Podcast. I'm John Fuller, and I'll be joined by my friends and colleagues, Dr. Greg Smalley and his wife, Erin, as we discuss practical ways you can show love and appreciation to your mate. You'll find the Loving Well podcast at focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. That's focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Gary and Gene, let's work through these now. Physical touch, we've talked about it, so let's go there. Gene, just as a practical example, uh, when we you know, kind of fell into the observation that Troy was 
physical touch. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) How did that guide your parenting with him? How did you embrace that and engage it? Well, it was easy when he was young because you want to hug your little little boys. But the older he got, (laughs) that was more challenging for me. But I would be intentional about scratching his back or putting my hand on his back, something that's unnatural for me. But I knew it was important to him or even scratching. He loves he would love for Jim to scratch his arm. He plops kind of down rub to the couch arm. next to my chair and puts his arm across my lap. <laughs> right. like tickle my forearm. That's the cue, huh? It, that's yes. the cue. Almost every night. I mean, it's so sweet. Yes. But it did. It You learned to verbally engage him by putting your hand on his shoulder and touching him in some way. And that's great. Right. Yeah. And it, back rubs at night. It's a little harder, Gary, isn't it, when they become teenagers because things might change a little bit. I'm, I'm thinking of guys whose daughters are physical touch. Yeah, yeah I think uh, what we have to recognize is as they get to be teenagers, we have to change different forms. You know, when they were little, we were hugging them and they were sitting on our lap and all that sort of thing. They get to be teenagers and maybe it's high fives and wrestling to the floor. Or if it's a daughter, you know, you're giving, you're still giving her hugs. Mm-hmm. And some fathers have kind of drawn back in those early teenage years from hugging their daughters because they've heard so much about, you know, sexual abuse, et cetera. And uh, I say, if you don't keep hugging her, she'll find an 18-year-old guy who will. Mm -hmm. So don't, you know. You know, a real practical example, and Gene, you've mentioned this to me with your own dad. There was a moment, and you can mention the age, I can't recall exactly, but you said you just remember your dad pulling back. Right. I was six. (laughs) And he, he, he used to carry me to bed, and then just one day... I mean, it stopped, Uh and he hugged me once when I was 15, and I cried. Wow. So it's something caused him to pull back. Mm. And I appreciate you talking about that, Gary, because my girls still, as adults, lean into me for a hug, and I love that. I I think it's really healthy. Okay, let's move to words of affirmation. Uh, What, Gary, does a child whose primary love language is words of affirmation need to hear from mom and dad? And again, I love this. It sounds elementary, but some of us don't get this. This probably is a little weaker area for me. So I'm asking for a friend of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Words of affirmation, how do we effectively as a parent express that? Well, I think we recognize, first, first of all, you can focus on the child. You know, the way they look, maybe the muscles they have or the smile they have on their face or just things like that about them and saying, you know, you're so beautiful when you smile. Just looking for things about them physically and maybe their personality and and focusing on that. Uh, But it also can be focusing on things that they're doing that you really want to see them learn how to do. And so maybe after a ball game, you see your son go over to a guy who just missed a shot and he gives him encouraging words. So dad says later to him, hey, man, I saw what you did tonight. And I know he felt badly about missing that shot. Man, that's great when you give people encouraging words. Mm-hmm. Just looking for things that they're already doing once in a while, but you verbally affirm that, and it tends to build that into their lifestyle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, Gene, I don't know that I'm effective with Trent because we kind of learned late that mm-hmm. words of affirmation, he, he, it just was not obvious. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was kind of thrown. And then words of affirmation, uh, I think you do a great job, Gene. But how well, do you go about doing that with Trent? 
Well, now that he's older, 21. that's, that's yeah. one positive use of technology. I will text him and it's, I'll text him, you know, Trent, I'm just so proud of you for whatever it is. And it, you know, I think um, it needs to be sincere. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, again, that can be challenging at some periods of the child's life, but we have to work hard to find something positive about them. Especially in those teen years. He was he was the strong-willed child. Oh, yeah. But I remember the day, he was probably 19, and he said to Gene, Mom, that was an awesome meal. Thank you for cooking that meal. And Gene's jaw dropped open. And he swung around and left the room. And I'm looking at Gene. She's looking at me like, what was that? And it was the arrival of the adult brain. Yeah. Right? Yes. And absolutely. Yeah. It was so much fun. And he's he's kept that going. Yes. I mean, he's yeah. very appreciative toward Gene and uses words of affirmation yes. to affirm you. I notice that yes. regularly. Uh, Gary, you have a great story in the book about a school teacher who asked her class to write affirming words toward their classmates. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, they, they each wrote affirming words for every other student in the class, and those were then given to those students. And years later, this was in a middle school class, years later, one of those students was actually killed in Vietnam in, in the mm-hmm. battle. But in his clothing, they found some of those statements that people had given him. Mm-hmm. And they returned those to the family. Mm-hmm. And the family shared some of those with that teacher just so she would know how deeply that particular experience meant to that young man, Mm. that those words, those positive affirming words he had with him when he was killed, he carried them with him. So it's powerful, especially if words is their language. Words of affirmation, written, spoken, sung, (laughs) speak deeply to those individuals. And You know, that's illustrative of of the impact of a child with a parents' words, right? Yeah. Bringing it right back to our relationship with our kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, in their heart, they're carrying that note. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Gary, I keep coming back to this, but um, you counsel so many parents. They come to you for help because they're desperate. And in that context, how does a parent who is in that rut, for whatever reason, kind of going back to the dad, hey, you, you missed the grass under the bushes, or it could be even more extreme, right? Yeah. Where there's a constant drumbeat of negativity from the parent what hook would you give them if they were sitting on your couch in your office and they were expressing this to you i just gary i just don't know how to get out of that groove it's what my dad did to me yeah yeah well i think first of all is recognizing that it's happening because many times parents are not aware of what they're doing until they really start thinking about it they hear something like we were just talking about and they say oh I think I'm doing that. Right. You know, that's the first step is recognizing that what you're doing is not helping. It's making things worse. And then I think it's followed by an apology to the child. Maybe saying, you know, I was listening to Focus on the Family and they were talking about a topic. And I came to realize that I probably give you far more negative words than I give you positive words. Mm. Do you feel that way? And the child will probably pour their heart out. Mm. That's all I ever hear from you, Mom or Dad. Okay, that's the first step. Now we've got it out in the open. Then you apologize to that child. I never realized. I didn't think, you know, my dad did that to me. My mom did that to me. And here I am doing it to you. That's the turnaround. It's that process. And then God will give us the ability to change. We're human. 
And we can change. Yeah. We can change broken patterns. And in that that desire for awareness, uh, going all the way back to filling your child's love tank, what are the adjectives that describe a child who has a full tank and a child who doesn't? Well, I think a child who has a full tank, typically they have a positive spirit. They relate to the parents in a positive way. Uh, you sense smiles on their face. Children who don't feel loved and appreciated will not be smiling much, and they will not be giving the parent positive words. They'll, and, if, and to their friends, they may be complaining about what's going on mm-hmm. long before they complain to their parents yeah. about it. If in that context, those broken relationships, you know, the, and we know some people that are in this place, and it breaks our hearts where their 16-year-old son or daughter is not connected any longer, may not even be in the home anymore, living with family friends or something like that. How does that parent begin to rebuild that relationship when it's that broken? Yeah. Well, I think it takes time, but there has to always be a first step. And the child has to be willing to reciprocate before you can take a step. But if you apologize to them sincerely, let them know you would really like to make relationships better. And whatever opportunity you do have, you begin to affirm them or speak their love language. At that, And they begin to see that you're sincere and you really are changing then there can be reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is the goal. And I think the five love languages give parents a framework to do that, whether it's at the beginning of that relationship or in a strained aspect of the mm-hmm. relationship, probably in the later teen years, as we know. Uh, we've only covered physical touch, Gary, and words of affirmation. We have more to cover, the other three. So if both you and Jean can stick with us, can we come back next time and keep going? I'll be happy to. Okay, yes, good. absolutely. This is so good. And I hope I hope the listeners and the viewers have benefited from this. This is Parenting 101, and I wish I would have concentrated more, Jean, on this when our kids, our boys were younger, because I think we sometimes accidentally got it right, and there's no reason to do that. Um, you can do this with purpose, and Gary's great book, The Five Love Languages of Children, is a framework to help you do something very, very important in their life, and that is to fill their love tank, because so many good things flow from that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hope you can get a copy right here from Focus on the Family. And if you can make a gift of any amount, we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you for participating in ministry to help other families. Mm -hmm. Yeah, donate today and uh, request your book, your copy of the five love languages of children when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And uh, while you're at the website, if you're not quite sure what your love language is, uh, take the quiz. We've got a link to Dr. Chapman's uh, materials. It's an easy quiz. It'll be fun to learn uh, if you haven't yet done so. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. Join us again next time as we continue the conversation with Gene and with Dr. Chapman. And once again, help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. In every child, there's an emotional love tank. You know, and if the love tank is full, the child grows up emotionally healthy. If the love tank is empty, 
and the child feels like they don't love me. Dr. Gary Chapman was our guest last time on Focus on the Family, talking about the need that every child has to feel loved and wanted. We'll continue the conversation with him today about the five love languages of children. And your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and we're also joined, Jim, by your dear wife. Yeah, it's always good to have Jean in here. Uh, John, every parent has the interesting challenge of discovering the right language. And, uh, and you know, obviously to communicate their hopefully close to unconditional love to their child. It's so important that children feel loved by their parents. But it can uh, be stressful to do that at times because you're not always getting the response. Uh, maybe have that sassy child that you don't really feel like being unconditionally loving toward. Uh, did you ever have that experience, Gene? Gene's <laughs> nodding like, yeah, yeah, that strong-willed kid. Uh, but today we're going to talk again with Gary Chapman, Dr. Gary Chapman. Uh, the conversation last time was good. I think it was engaging. Yeah. And I would just encourage parents, this is Parenting 101. Uh, I so wish that Gene and I would have locked into this earlier than mm-hmm. we did. So that's why here at Focus we wanted uh, to bring Gary to you to make sure that uh, you're applying these principles of the love languages and raising your kids. And if you're a grandparent, get this for your adult child, your son or mm-hmm. daughter who's raising those beautiful grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a great way mm-hmm. to uh, to really uh, lay the bedrock for parenting. So Gary and Jean, welcome back. Thank you. It's so good to have you. Thank you. It's great to be back. It is. And uh, Gary, let me pick up from last time. We covered the first two love languages, physical touch and words of affirmation. The next three, uh, let's just start with quality time. What does that communicate to a child? And again, I think this is one where I can fumble a bit. So you can chastise me. It's both quality of us. time. So talk to both of us on this. A lot of dads probably struggle yeah. here. Yeah, quality time is giving the child your undivided attention. Yeah, that's the problem. You know, in today's world, we are multitaskers, you know. So, okay, your kid's talking to you and you're on your computer or you're reading a magazine and you're listening, but they don't have your full attention. And that's not quality time. And so the child feels like something on his computer is more important than I am. Or if you're talking to a child and having a conversation and your phone rings and you answer your phone, Again, to that child, it says somebody out there is more important than I am. Now, I understand some people have to be on duty, you know, medical doctors and all. So you just say to the child, honey, this is an emergency, but stay right here. I want to finish our conversation. Mm. You know, but you let them know that they have your full attention. That's at the heart of quality time. Now, you know, I kind of threw dads on the on the fire there. But Gene, let me ask you, too, as a busy mom, and, you know, some moms are working outside the home, they're certainly working inside the home, and you're spent, and yet, you know, your kids need quality time. How does that resonate for you as a busy mom? Mm. Yes. Well, let's face it, there are not enough hours in a day when you have children in the home to get everything done. So we have to prioritize our time, and I found, you know, you just have to come up with creative ways, and, and that's why broadcasts like this and Dr. Chapman's book, we have all these helpful resources to find creative ways to spend time with your kids. I can remember uh, when Trent was young, he loved playing talkie toys, and the action heroes oh, would yeah. interact with each other. 
And I really, one day I watched the <laughs> I clock. I remember this. I, I, I would have said I was spending 20 minutes with him every time I did that. And I watched the clock one day. One time it was three minutes, but it was enough. Yeah. It felt like it, 20. It felt like 20, <laughs> but it was, it was enough. But I think also finding, finding ways to do things that you want to do uh, as well with their child, maybe spending time reading a bedtime story together or rubbing their back at night. Now, I was thinking that spending time in the car counted as quality time, Dr. Chapman. Am I, am I mistaken about you, you that? You are the report card queen. So does she get an A or an F uh, It all depends on what you do in the car. <laughs> if they're on their screen and you're driving the car, it's not quality time. But if there's conversation going on, right. it's quality time. Well, That's, and and you've mentioned and uh, with that time in the car with your children, not asking questions that can be answered with a yes or no, so open-ended questions or questions that can be answered with fine. But I did use that time in the yeah. car. She's a good to, student. To try to draw out uh, some conversation and get into the world a little bit. Yeah. Elaborate on that and define that. Yeah, I think conversation is important. Now, that's only one what I call dialect because, it, as you say, it could be playing a game with them together. Mm-hmm. But they still have your full attention. But uh, I remember, for example, that the child brings home a, uh, a piece of art that they did at school. And the parent says, oh, that's nice. That's beautiful. You did a good job with that. No conversation. That's a monologue. That's affirming words. That was fine. But that's not quality time. But if, after saying that, the mom says to that child, what were you thinking about when you drew that? Mm. And so I was thinking when we were down at grandmother's house, and remember we had a picnic outside under the oak tree, and this was the dog. Remember, he ate my hot dog, and I didn't like him, <laughs> but I like him now. And now, you know, now you're having conversation. And what did you feel like, you know, when you were writing that? So it's not just giving affirming words. This is where uh, words of affirmation and quality time differ. Quality time, and it doesn't have to be a long time. You mentioned it could Mm -hmm. be a brief time. Uh, For example, a mother's fixing uh, potato salad, and the five-year-old says, Mommy, can we play? Can we play, Mommy? And she says, Honey, I've got to finish the potato salad. And in two minutes, they're back. Can we play now, Mommy? Can we play now? And this goes on two or three times. That child's language is quality time. They're begging you for it. Right. So if you know that, why not give them five minutes before you start the potato salad? Yes. And with five minutes of quality time with them, and then you say, now, honey, mommy's got to go make the potato salad for supper. So you, you know. I've got a better idea. Go to Costco. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and I... And buy I the potato a, salad? <laughs> I have a question. What, what do you think about bringing the child into... Helping make the potato salad. Yeah, that's an act of service. Oh, interesting. You're teaching them how to do something. Right. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. That's good. That that's... could cost more time. <laughs> oh, it will. Oh. It will. And they will not do it the way you want it. Yeah. And the mayonnaise just ended on the floor, so <laughs> right. get ready for that. You did do that with the boys. You invited them to help you prepare things. I did, things. and that, that yeah. can be really challenging for parents <laughs> yeah. because... The dishes aren't going to be put away the way you want them to or loaded in the dishwasher the way you want. or Right, things aren't going to look the way 
that you intended, yeah, but yeah. it is also teaching your kids how to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hear the distinction, though, being for a child with quality time, you're dialing into them and what yeah. they're feeling yeah. as they do something or express yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing, again, I'll pull it toward the dad side with quality time. You know, hey, let's watch the football game. And they really don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I noticed that's, that with that's Trent the dad's Troy. interest, not yes. their interest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Troy is just coming around at 19 now where he'll sit and watch a bit of a game with me. Yeah. But it's never the whole game. Yeah. And, and I, one of the points I make is to speak quality time, you have to go to where the child is. Yeah. If they're little, you're on the floor rolling mm-hmm. the ball back and mm-hmm. forth. You know, we yeah. they, they have your full attention. Mm-hmm. If the phone rings and you answer the phone, now you still roll the ball, but they don't have your full attention. Mm. Gary, let me ask you this, because this is, again, something that has to be intentional. I, you know, and I'm not going to just stereotype. Yes, I am. I'm going to stereotype this. (laughs) So guy comes home, he's tired, and four and five-year-old kiddos are wanting time, and he wants to watch the news. You know, it's news, weather, and sports time. Click, click, click. You're kind of decompressing from work. I think with Jean's help, sometimes not gentle, but (laughs) she's like, you know, the boys need your time. I don't think that news station needs your time right now or that football game. And it it took a little time of her persistence, but I think I finally caught it and turned it off. Yeah, I think the word you used earlier, Jean, priority. We have to choose our priorities. And when you have children in the home, then they should be one of your top priorities. Your spouse should be your first top priority, but then the children. It's more important than anything you're going to watch on TV, anything you're going to be doing on the computer. And if you realize that, you keep bringing yourself back to that. You know, okay, I've got to do this. I need to do this. Would you describe that as habits? I think you get into a habit and you got to break Mm -hmm. the habit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we can break habits and we have to replace them with something different. So what we're replacing them with is, in this case, is quality time with our children. Yeah. So keep going, moms. Keep pressing dad. (laughs) But okay, let's move to gifts. This is the one for me as I did the quiz. This is at the far end of I don't really care. (laughs) Yeah, I've noticed. (laughs) And this is, and again, this is the receiving of gifts. And I think, Gene, you've probably seen this for me. It's like if you get me one Christmas present or 10, it doesn't really matter. And uh, it's first describe that Scrooge mentality that I possess (laughs) and then help me better understand that when this is a person's love language, what that looks like. If this is the child's love language and let's say you didn't give them a a birthday gift, that kid's going to feel like they don't love me, you know. Now, parents will typically give birthday gifts and Christmas gifts, you know. But if gifts is their language... You have to give gifts more often than just birthdays uh. and Christmas. But the gifts don't have to be expensive. Sometimes parents say, well, you won't this teach them materialism. It's things, things, things. They don't have to be expensive. You can pick up a stone in a city parking lot and take it home and give it to an eight-year-old boy if gifts is his language and say, man, I found this today and I thought about you. Look at the colors in here, man. I wanted you to have this. If gifts is his love language... You'll find that stone in his dresser drawer when he's 23, Uh, and he'll remember the day you gave it to him. Isn't that something, the power of that? This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. What is building up your teen girl's belief system? And that's the main thing, actually, that I've gotten from Debrio Magazine since I've gotten them, is just how to stay strong in your faith and how to just 
every day rely on God for everything, even if you're having a wonderfully good day or just an absolute terrible one. Discover how Brio Magazine can capture the heart and faith of your teen girl at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Brio Radio. I'm here asking people how they could both give and get. I don't know. Maybe love? Yeah, you could both give and get love. True, but it's also possible with a charitable gift annuity. You get a secure source of fixed income and a charitable tax deduction. Plus, giving a charitable gift annuity to focus on the family helps families thrive for generations to come. I love that. Find out more. Go to FocusPlannedGiving.com. That's FocusPlannedGiving.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Gary, let's go to the last one, and we have a few more questions for you here, but uh, that idea of acts of service, uh, most moms probably feel, and I'll get your affirmation on this, Gene, that they serve their kids all day long. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So how how do you differentiate between uh, this love language and just the normal I'm taking care of everything here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I do think that we are forced as parents to speak this love language from the moment they're born. Which is a good way to look at it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, A healthy way. They can't do anything. Right. We put the food in, we take the food out. I mean, we we got to do it all, you know. And so in those early years, we're doing for them things they cannot do for themselves. Yeah. But another part of this love language is teaching them how to do things for themselves. And this mm-hmm. takes more time and energy. A six-year-old can make up their own bed, but they have to be taught, and it takes time to do that. Uh, we mentioned this earlier. Teaching them how to cook a meal is a far more expression of love than cooking the meal for them. Right. Because you're preparing them for life. Yeah. Our granddaughter could cook a full meal when she was 14 years old. Her father, who's the cook in the house, taught her how to to cook a meal, and she loves it. She makes her own birthday cakes, you know. Wow. She just loves it. But she had that interest in that, and she wanted to learn that. So I've sometimes said to parents, think along these lines. What would you like your child to be able to do by the time they're 18 years old? Why don't you make a list? And let the, let the, if the teenagers, let them help you make a list. What would they like to know how to do by the time they're 18 oh, years old? That's good. And let that be a guideline in terms of how you can speak the language acts of service. And this is good whether this is their primary language or not. Because at 18, they're going, in our culture, they're going off to university, going to join the military, going to get a job, we hope. You know? right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they need to be prepared. Yeah. And so this is one of the aspects of speaking this language that's super, super helpful to every child. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking it more externally to the home, like going and volunteering at a soup kitchen, doing things like that, which also applies there. But, Gene, I hadn't thought about I mean, at 10, you had the boys doing laundry. That was pretty good. I always thought, wow, yeah, you were good with that. That was one thing I did. Right. (laughs) No, it's true, though. They were. Now, I don't know how many pink t-shirts right, we ended up right. with. Right, Again, you know, the parents can do everything better than the kids, yeah. and it does take more time and energy In the to beginning. teach them. Yeah. Yeah. But it is important, yes, to look at the end game. Yeah. What do you want your child to be able to do as an adult? Um, let's move into a little love and discipline discussion. In your book, you wrote, Disciplining a Child Without Love is Like Trying to Run a Machine Without Oil. And that's a great illustration. Uh, it appears to be working for a little while, but then for, the engine seizes, right? Yeah, yeah. Describe that. 
Yeah, I think uh, all of us as parents have to discipline our children. It means we have guidelines. We can call them rules. We can call them principles. We can call them guidelines. And we have consequences when they break the guidelines. And that's a necessary part. God does that for us. In fact, the Bible says he disciplines all of his children. If you don't get disciplined, you don't belong to God. So as parents, we model God in doing that. But discipline without the child feeling love comes across as harsh. Mm. And so one of the things I say is before you administer the discipline, speak their love language. Wrap it in their love language. Let's say words of affirmation is their language. Let's say the rule is we don't throw the ball inside the house. If we do, the ball goes in the trunk for two days. And if you break something, you have to pay for it out of your allowance, okay? So the child breaks the law. Parent says, honey, I'm so proud of you because seldom do you break the rules. But you know you broke this one. And you know what has to happen, right? Their head's down and they're nodding. Yes, okay. I'm feeling good. So, so let's go to the car <laughs> and we put it in the trunk. And I don't know how much the vase costs, but we'll have to take it out of your allowance. But, but listen, I'm so proud of you because yeah. you seldom do this. That child walks away feeling this is fair because they already knew what the punishment was going to be. When you have a rule, always tell them what's going to happen if they break the rule beforehand. They already know that, and they feel this is fair. But if you simply go in there and say, I told you not to do that. You know better than that. You know, now, you know what's going to have to happen. <sighs> now the child walks away feeling like, you know, I try hard. I mess up on one thing, and I get blasted. Or I'm worthless. Yeah, I'm worthless. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we can't allow our emotional state at the time to control our behavior. Mm. And if we wrap it in love, the child feels like it's fair. They accept it in the way you, you want it to be. Uh, Gary, I remember a time I disciplined Trent and uh, he went to his room and I went up afterward and I was going to affirm him. I'm doing good so mm -hmm, far, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but he wouldn't speak to me. He was probably eight, seven or eight. Mm -hmm. And I said, um, are you upset? And he shook his head, yes, you know, with one nod, bang. Yeah. Yes. And then I said, can you talk with me? And he went, no, and shook his yeah. head that way. And I said, can you write what you're feeling? And he shook his head, yes. So I went and got a pen and paper and I gave it to him and I said, how do you feel when I discipline you? And I remember he wrote, it feels like you don't love me. Yeah. yeah. So what was he expressing to me? I think he was expressing his emotional response at the moment. And I think what you did was great. I would not have thought about the pencil paper thing, but I like that. Mm. Because it gave him, he could not talk at that moment about it. Right, he, he was, was too, not going to. He was to. too upset to do that. Yeah. But yes, he could write out what he's feeling. And I think what we have to be thinking of in terms of parents when we're disciplined is, how does this come across to my child? Does it come across as this is a, I'm doing this because I love you? Because all disciplines should be flowing out of our love. We're letting them learn a tremendous principle in life that when we break the rules, there's consequences to breaking the rules. Mm -hmm. So we're teaching them something really, really important. But how does the way I'm delivering the discipline come across to them? Yeah, it's so And if true. it comes across in a negative way, they don't feel loved by you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gene, I think with Troy, it was hugs, right? You, we disciplined Troy, and then the three times we had to discipline him. Because, I mean, he just was never yeah. outside the boundaries, typically. Right. He was one of those children that you just give that kind of look to, that that disappointed look, and that was enough. Yeah. 
But I will say with uh, our oldest son, it was more challenging. And, you know, honestly, for a lot of us parents, we are not calm when they have done whatever it is for the umpteenth time. You're frustrated. You're really frustrated. You're not feeling unconditional love. And Dr. Chapman, that's why I love that you talk about this. It's just so important for us as parents. We've got to find that way to calm ourselves down before we discipline the child. And whether it's taking three deep breaths or taking, I I learned of a mommy timeout. I love that one. <laughs> love that. You can't Please do that. Please send me to timeout. Yes, yeah. you can't do that if you have a three-year-old yeah. that needs yeah. to be watched. But that's really the crux of it yeah. is that we can calm down. And as you talked about, keep in mind, what, why are we wanting to discipline them? What is the point of it? Well, let me, let me frame it a little bit like this. For the moms and dads listening, where you have that stronger-willed child, you have, you know, they require more attention, um, how do you reset constantly? <laughs> I mean, you know, how do you get a hold of your own emotions so you're not losing it? Mm-hmm. I think we have to say to ourselves, I don't want to ever discipline my child out of anger. Yes. Because if I do, it will come across as I don't like you, I don't love you, you're an awful person. And so it's a timeout thing, I think. We, 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 whether we calm down a bit, and if it's th- three minutes or if it's 30 minutes, we wait till we calm down a little bit so that we can approach it in a much more loving way because we want the discipline to come across as love. I do this because I love you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. good. I, Jim, you're making me think of one of my bigger regrets as a parent was what I called taking the bait with that child that oh. loved oh, the button the pushing. Oh, yes. They're phenomenal at pushing I, our buttons. I just took it like a challenge, and that's exactly <laughs> what that child wanted. And I've so I've so learned to just not okay, go Okay, but there. what's that transaction about, Gary? We're all laughing because it's rooted in truth. Yeah, yeah. This absolutely. is what happens. They're pushing our buttons, and yeah. we're going for and the we bait. we take yeah. the bait. Yeah. So what is that transaction all about between parent and child? Well, I think we have to recognize what's happening, first of all. You know, they're trying to get us upset because they want to see us do wrong, you know. Those sinners. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think we just have to recognize, okay, this is a pattern. I'm beginning to see this now, okay? I, God, I need your help to break the pattern, mm-hmm. you know, because we can break patterns. Oh, yeah. But it's tough. I remember Gene would say to me sometimes, remember who the adult is. Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. I, I must have forgotten that about myself many times. But it's true, man. Yeah. We just take it hook, line, mm-hmm and sinker. Uh, Gary, as we close, I want to encourage the listener, the viewer, who's never thought about their child's love language. It just hasn't been on the radar. They haven't heard about it. Now, that sounds a little odd after 14 million copies sold, but there will be some people that aren't familiar with the concept. And now their child maybe is a little older. They're in that teen phase, and they haven't been effective at first identifying their love language, and second, putting it into action so that if they are correcting them, how to affirm them through those words of affirmation, physical touch, what have you, what can they do today yeah. practically to get the ship righted a little bit? Yeah. I think one thing is to have a conversation with that teenager mm. and just say, you know, I was listening to a radio program and I heard this, or I read a book and I heard this concept that people have different love languages, and I never thought about this before. 
that I have a love language, and Daddy has a love language, and you have a love language. And I've never thought about this before. And I found out there was a free quiz, and I went online and took that quiz. Dad and I did. And I found out that what makes Dad love is not what I thought. He's got a different love language. I thought this made him feel love, but no, this is it. And he had mine wrong. And so there's one for teenagers. Would you be willing to take that quiz so we can talk about that? Mm. Because I don't know how much you feel love on a scale of zero to ten. I think I love you a ten, but I don't know if you feel it that way. Right. You know. And so mm-hmm. that opens up the whole concept to them, and, and then we can really talk about it as a family yeah. and look back on the past. I think you touched on this, but I want to hit this once again, that idea of demonstrating humility to your children by asking for forgiveness. I remember the first time I did that, and the boys, Trent was probably five or six, and I remember he was in the top bunk bed, and so he had me eyeball to eyeball. And we had had a little confrontation and discipline, and he's in bed, and I go up to affirm him (laughs) after reading Dr. Chapman's book. (laughs) And uh, I remember looking at him in the eyes, and I just said, you know, I'm so sorry. I think I over, which I had, I overreacted, and I just, I'd like to ask you to forgive me. And all of a sudden, he had this big smile on his face, and I'm thinking, okay, what's coming? And he goes, I didn't know parents had to ask for forgiveness. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Wow. And I said, are you kidding? We're going to make so many mistakes, Trent. Yeah. And it was just awesome. And I think that was a moment mm-hmm. that he will remember forever. Absolutely. absolutely. And uh, that's a good place to start as well with humility. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, man, this has been so good, Gary. I love when you come to the studio because well, you help us you. in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And Gene, it's so good to have your perspective here. Well, and I'll see you tonight for dinner. <laughs> yes, yes. And <laughs> I Maybe love I should hearing. take you out <laughs> yeah. just to say thank you. I think we're on. But I love hearing Dr. Chapman's perspective. This oh, is no, great. It's so good. Great so good. So I hope material. you have benefited. And let's get a copy to you of the book, The Five Love Languages of Children. And uh, if you can make a gift to focus on the family for any amount, we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. You can support us monthly, which is great, Mm -hmm. uh, or a one-time gift. Either way, we'll send it to you. If you can't afford it, we're about helping you. So we'll trust that others will cover the cost of that. So just get in touch with us and ask for a copy to help you in your parenting journey. That's our goal at Focus, to make you the best parent you can be. Yeah, we want to come alongside you. So donate as you can. Request that great book, The Five Love Languages of Children. And you'll find links to take the quiz so you can find out your love language, as Gary was describing. Uh, It's all a phone call away. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. Christ.